You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikena Okeke of the Father's Church. Please join Pastor Ikena Okeke and be blessed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, many years ago, I think there was a sermon that I preached and the theme was the good, the bad, and the naive. How many remember that sermon? I pray that we can still get it because what we are looking at is a bit in that direction, but I don't have, I don't think I have the content that God gave us at that very particular time. So please, um, word and sound, try and get that tape, and uh, I will encourage you, please, if you get it, to listen to it. Come with me to Acts 26, Acts chapter 26, and we're going to be reading, I actually wanted us to read from verse 1 to 18. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation and Jerusalem, all the Jews known. They knew me from the first, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise are twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Verse 12. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven. Brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. When we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the gods. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To open, let's read this part together, verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, 
and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Okay, like I mentioned before we read the passage, that God, our God, the God we serve, is infinitely good. Is not in doubt. We addressed this a few Sundays back as well. That God is omnipotent. It means power. All power resides with him. Is also not in doubt. He's the creator. In the beginning, before there was anything, God was. And God spoke creation into being. Everything that we see, everything that we know, everything that we touch, our God created them all. Praise the Lord. So, and we've seen his intent, John 3, 16 says, For God, this almighty God, so loved the world that he created, that rebelled against him, that he did not destroy the world. Rather, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So we see an all-powerful God, we see a God that has the best, best of intentions for us. We see a God that loves us. And we see this God in our world, in creation. We see him. And this God exists. However, in this same world that God has created, there is the one that is called the devil. Praise the Lord. He's called, he has several names. He's known as the Revelation 12, 9 calls him the great dragon. He's also known as the serpent of old. He's also known as the devil. He's also known as Satan. And he has one job he does. He deceives the whole world. He's been a deceiver from the first time he got into this, you know, in our environment. And that's what he's still doing. Praise the Lord. Genesis 3 told us how he deceived Adam and Eve. Revelation 12 is telling us that this is what he did throughout. So even now, he's either deceiving or making an attempt to deceive. So this person is the one that is bad. He's irredeemably bad. He's undeniably bad. He's irrefutably bad. There is nothing good that can come from him. Praise the Lord, somebody. He is the devil. Hallelujah. No matter how handsome, no matter how glittering, whatever he presents to you is, it must be bad because that is who he is. Are we getting what we're saying? So we've established our God is the good, good, good God. The devil is the terrible devil. Nothing good can come from him. You know, nothing. It's impossible. He can do good. But he's a master of deception. So many times people might imagine that they're getting something good from him. But he has no good to give. You can only give what you have. Praise the Lord. He has nothing good. What he has on his head is judgment. He's been sentenced to the everlasting fire. That's the best he can deliver to anybody. Praise the Lord. Now, in this equation, we also have a third party. 
And that third party is man, you and I. And this man, over time, has shown the capacity for unfathomable naivety. Man is amazing. We can be so foolish. Praise the Lord. You see, we're so naive, we're just, we are to be pitied. But unfortunately, in this naivety, we don't even know. You know, they say that, um, how did they say, the fool is the one who does not know and does not know that he doesn't know. You see, man is naive. Mugabe said that only God can remove him from the throne. You remember the statement? Was it God that removed him? Well, in a sense, it was God. But what he was trying to say was that he'll be dead till his last breath. That's what he was trying to say. But cut all of that off. Where he is now, the, the man had a great and bright beginning. If he knew a time will come that he can't wear the clothes and live in the mansions and, you know, command the power, do you think he would have lived differently? Definitely he would have. But you see, man is open to deception, loving deception, paying for deception. Maybe that's why comedy is so popular. Maybe that's why, you know, a lot of things are so enjoyed by man. Because we don't like reality. I, I was searching on my phone a few, you know, I, I can't remember. I saw um, a cartoon and sitting on a chair was life, you know dressed well like a gentleman, and death was also there. So life said to death, I don't understand why do people love it so much and hate you dead so much? You know, he was asking death, why do people love it, death, life so much and hate you dead so much? And death replied and said, because you life are a beautiful lie. Death is, an, is a painful truth. Praise the Lord. Now, a few days ago, I was just striving, and the Spirit of God dropped in my spirit. It said, if people constantly remember that they will die, the world will be a better place. Constantly. I mean, just remind yourself. And this is a truth that is apparent to all. Praise the Lord. We buried someone. You know, some older, some younger, some richer, some poorer. So, death is certain. But you see, man in his naivety, in this, you know, capacity for unfathomable naivety, lives as though it will never happen to him. But it will happen to every other person. Who, praise the Lord. Man conveniently pushes it away. So, we have the good God, the infinitely good God, we have the, you know, wickedly bad devil. And then we have this man right here and then. And brethren, this is the background for the gospel. This is why Jesus came. And as we look at our text where we read from, we see the commission that was given to Saul of Tarsus. In the first place, Saul, you, you could see Saul's life. Verse 11, verse 11, 10 and 11, I read 10 and 11. He said, thus I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints, I'm back in Acts 26, I shut them up in prison and I received authority to even go further 
And in 11, he says, I punish them often in every synagogue and compel them to blaspheme. I'm being exceedingly enraged against them. That word talked about madness. He was madly, you know, angry with Christians. Now, why, what have these people or what did they do to him that is making him exceedingly enraged? Can you give me a few other translations? Let's see how he puts that. 11. The Living Bible says, I used torture to try to make Christians everywhere curse Christ. I was so violently opposed to them that I even hounded them in distant cities. Let's see Amplify, please. Okay, this one says, in my bitter fury against them. I want you to pause for a moment. The Christians Saul were persecuting. What did they do to him? The Jesus he was persecuting, what did he do to them? He healed their sick. Praise the Lord. He fed the multitude. He taught them about how to live peacefully. He taught them to love their neighbors. He taught them to forgive those who offend them. What did he do to anybody? But you see, this man, this naive man, this you and I in this world, we have to be careful because the devil is an enemy of everything that is good. And he will deploy and make use of anything that is available to him to see that he turns man against what is best for him. Thank God for the mercy that Saul of Tarsus obtained from God. And thank God for the same mercy that you and I have obtained. Praise the Lord. Because sometimes I remember where I come from. And I, I know that many of you never came from anywhere. But I imagine where would I have been if not for mercy. Praise the Lord. I wonder what my end would have been if not for mercy or if the end came before mercy came. Okay? But we look at this and we see Saul of Tarsus and we see his experience. So he said as he was joining, he had this encounter. And the light that shone on him was said to be what? Brighter than the midday sun. At midday, the sun is brightest. If you put on a light, whatever, no matter how bright the intensity of that light, it can never be noticed because the sun outshines all of it. But you see, there is a light that was light before light was created. Praise the Lord. He is the light of the world. That light is light intellectually, is light in purity, is light in morality, is light in righteousness, is also light in brightness. So whenever he appears, there will be brightness. Praise the Lord, somebody. So when he appeared, the sun became dull. Brethren, listen, man has imagined that the world he lives in, the world he sees, the world he can touch, the things he can feel, is all there is to the world. No! That's one of the first things Paul learned there. Paul saw that there was light. What? That's why he noted it. Brighter than the sun. People of God, there is more to your life than what you see. There are many more people, many more things involved in trying to determine the outcome of your life. More than what you feel. More than what you see. More than what you know. And the life that is lived... Just working with what you can sense, what you can touch, what you can feel is called for the Christian in the Bible, a carnal life. It's a life that is based only on these things. Praise the Lord. Anyway, so he went on and the conversation when Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? We've looked at this uh, some time ago. You notice that Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my disciples? He said, why are you persecuting who? Me. You know why? 
Because Jesus and his disciples are one. Jesus and the church is one. Anything that touches the church, the church is what? The body of Christ and Christ is our head. When something touches your leg, you say, why are you touching the leg of no? You say, why are you touching my body? Praise the Lord. So Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the God. Now, Paul said, or rather Saul still here, who are you, Lord? Immediately, nobody told him that there is Lord. He didn't say, who are you? He said, who are you, what? Lord. Who no, no? Go, no. Praise the Lord. So he said, who are you? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He said to him, rise, stand on your feet for this purpose I've appeared to you to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Quickly, now let's go to the commission, verse 18, which is where I'm going. He said, I've appeared to you so that you go to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles to open their eyes. To open their eyes. Are they blind? Is he talking here about blindness? No. He said to turn them from darkness to light. Obviously, there was a darkness because Paul saw something brighter. He said from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in him. The Bible makes us understand in John 14, John 14, we can do one to six, but because of time, we can do six. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way. He didn't say I'm a way. He said, I'm the truth. He didn't say I'm a truth. He said, I'm the life. He didn't say I'm a type of life. In fact, if there was anything like that, in John 10, 10, he says, the thief does not come but what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But what? I have come that you may what? Have life and have life what? More abundantly. There are a few things there that we need to look at, you know, closely. When our Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the truth, what's he saying? Is he saying that I will tell you the result of the match that is being played? Is he saying that I will tell you this, you know, I will tell you your phone number? Is that what he's saying? Is that what he's saying? No. What was he saying when he says, I'm the truth? He's saying something there. Simply, Jesus is saying, I am the reality. I am the abiding what? Reality. I am the thing that is and will forever be. You see, what is truth and what is falsehood and what is a lie? There are so many variations. Praise the Lord. You see, there are so many variations. I just come into my mind. I remember many years ago when we were in the former church, a couple that were members of the church, they started a laundry business. And they said to us, Pastor and Momichi, we will do your laundry free of charge for life. Did they lie? They didn't lie. But are they doing it? They're not doing it. Praise the Lord. It's like when Peter said, if all these people forsake you, I won't forsake you. Was he lying? No, he was speaking truth to the extent he knew from the innermost of his being. But you see, what he was saying was not truth was not the truth in the sense that what? In the sense that what? It was not reality. So when our Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the truth, he said, 
I'm the only abiding reality. I'm the one who was. I'm the one who is. I'm the one who won. I'm the one that no matter where you go, the psalmist said, if I took the wings of the money and flew to the furthermost part, he says you'll be there. Jesus is the only one who in the mansion you need him. In the prison you need him. When you are born you need him. When you are dying you need him. At any time you don't need him, you're already in hell. Are you getting what I'm saying? He says, I am the truth. I am the one who sums up all reality. Remember, you see, the scriptures all say one thing, basically. You can look at it from different angles. But the word of God says one thing, basically. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And without him was nothing what? Made that was made. So if you don't know him, that means you don't know anything. But you can say, I don't know him, but I'm a billionaire. The billions were made what? With him and for him. So the day he decides to make the truth known to you, you realize that you have nothing. So when he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, he says, I am reality. I'm the only thing that will abide. I'm the only thing you need to hold on to. Every other thing is an illusion. The world we are in is an illusion. What is an illusion? Something that is imaginary, that won't last, that is passing. He says, that's who I am. I'm the only thing that is real. So the commission they gave to Paul was, listen, you now know the truth. You see, for somebody to live the life that Saul was living before he experienced Jesus, definitely he must have been convinced. The persecution Saul was persecuting the church was not the type that parents told the children. Go and do this. No. He was fully convinced. He was fully convinced. But when he had that encounter, there's one account where it says, he said to King, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. A translation says, I became a believer immediately. Because when this truth confronts you, you know, with reality, when it confronts you, when this reality confronts you in certain seconds, you will know that you know that you know. And that's why many times a few of us have passed through situations where you come out and you say truly, but for God, but for God. Because at that moment you will know that no one else and nothing else could have brought you out. Praise the Lord somebody. Praise Jesus somebody. In John 8 also, in John 8, 30 to 32, the Bible says of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm laying a foundation, we're going somewhere. It says, he said to those Jews who believed in him, he said to them, if you abide in my word, which simply means if you continue, you have encountered me. If you continue in my word, what are you? He said, you are my disciples indeed. Now, he's now made a statement. He said, and what? When you are my disciples, what will happen to you? He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? make you free. You know, when we read some of these statements, most of us know them. What are these things saying in line with reality, with life? I give you a bit of background. You know, I come out from this again. Every Nigerian is aware of the xenophobic attacks of um, Nigerians and Africans in South Africa, right? And we are really angry. Praise the Lord. We are very angry with South Africa. Now, some of us have decided that what we do also is that we begin to attack South African interests. 
break their shops, burn their shops, loot their shops. Isn't it? Isn't it? Hey, hey now, isn't it? Now, let me ask you, who benefits when they attack Nigerians there and Nigerians attack them in Lagos or in Abuja anyway? Who do you think is benefiting? It's only criminals. Who did the attacks in South Africa? Criminals. Who had, if you break into ShopRite and carry television, who are you? But now, for the normal person, you think he serves them right. By that statement, you're supporting criminality. But you see, you don't even know because you're naive. The actor that is singing and dancing behind is the devil. Is the devil. And you see, this is how life plays out. When man, when the man fully analyzes the situation, he says this is the best course of action. And he thinks he's smart. But what he has forgotten is that there is a deceiver who has over the years used mankind as pawns in his hands. Destroying, confusing, and most of the time the men are fully convinced that what they're doing is the right thing. But they forget that there is the, he's called wise. The devil is not called foolish. He's a serpent. He understands mankind. He has been around. He also knows God. He knows what God hates. He knows what God lies. Praise the Lord. What am I saying? When the Bible begins to say, you shall be free, simply saying, you will be free from the control of this terrible devil. That's what he's saying. That's liberation. When a man gets to the point where he ceases to be a pawn in the hand of the devil. And that's where you get to, and you begin to understand when the Bible says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left. You see, if they slap you on the right cheek and you slap the person back, you know what is happening? You're fighting. If, if your children, the teacher punishes how many people? Huh? How many? Everybody. But you on your own. You are the good person. You don't look for trouble. This crazy, you know, student of, you know, colleague came and slapped you. You slap back. You know what has happened? The devil has played both of you. In your mind, you'll be thinking, no, I was on my own, I was on my... No, he slapped you, you slapped back. It's a fight. It's a fight. Man's naivety. So Jesus says, no, don't slap back. Because if you do that, you fall into the hands of the master deceiver. You're in a marriage, this happens, this happens. They say, forgive one another, love one another, forbear with one another. He say, you don't know what she did to me, you don't know what she did. You do your own. The moment you do your own, the Bible says, while the earth remaineth, seed time and what? When they sow evil to you and you don't sow, that means you can never harvest evil. But the law of reaping, sowing and reaping, is automatic. So when Jesus says, don't do evil back, it's because he wants to deliver you from that old deceiver. But the naivety of man will never allow him because the devil will present the case so astutely and you think he's only right. And then some people get a step further, they take their Bible and find justification and back it up with scripture. People of God, let nobody intimidate you with opening Bible because the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Satan opened Bible. He opened Bible. But thank God Jesus was not as naive as many of us. He said to him, after 40 days of fasting, 
If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Brother, it makes sense. Doesn't it make sense? Praise God. You know, for, for those of us who have fasted, you know, when you have fasted eh, and you see food, there is a feeling of justification. Am I right? You see, when you're eating that food, you're eating it with right. You have the right to eat it. The tempter said to Jesus, you completed 40 days of no eating. Ha! Time to celebrate. Command that these stones become bread. But Jesus responded and said something. He said to him, man shall not live what? By bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. He was telling us something. That if you and I follow our needs, we will be pawns in the hands of the devil. You follow the word. Now, why is it a problem for you and I following the word many times? Because we think the world doesn't care. If only you knew. Don't mind, pastor. He doesn't know. It's not about knowing. It says the word of God is the only thing that can keep you from the manipulation, the deception, and the control of the devil. You can't be sure of any other thing. You can't be sure. Sometimes you're counseling someone, and when you weigh the bodies they bring before you, never suggest anything that is not the word. Because you might think you're helping the person. You're actually destroying that person. Brethren, let me ask you. We've talked so much about Joseph here. If you were a counselor in Egypt, and Joseph came to you for cancer, Madam is disturbing me. Oga travels for one week, two months. He's in Pharaoh's house. He doesn't come back. And she has said, if I don't agree, she will expose me. She will do this. What will you advise? Difficult choice. Difficult choice, isn't it? But you see, the word of God. And that's why when we try to look at the word of God, looking at it from the eyes of man, we can never, never attain to where God wants to take us. Listen, the only option was that Joseph, you will bear the consequences. How many of us can tell somebody to their face, don't disobey God, they will send you to jail. You know, it's not easy to speak. It's not easy to speak. But you know what? Wherever the word sends you, knowing that God is infinitely good, then the scripture that says, and we know that all things work together for good. That's where it comes in. So I obey the word. It throws me into a place that is thorny and difficult. Then in this place, I remember that God is what? Good. And this will work for my good. That is what they sent Saul to pray. He said, turn them from darkness. You know, when the Bible talks about spiritual darkness, no, there are no, I mean, it's not talking about people who are blind. It's talking about a world where people are interpreting wrongly. Interpreting wrongly. Which village are you from? Where are you from? Olimo State. In your village now, if you are there praying, interceding for that village, you will never get a chieftaincy title. But the man in that village that is a kidnapper, that is a thief, that bring, builds big house, drives big cars, you know. What, am I going too far? The Taraba guy. Wadume. The villagers are complaining. Wadume was building houses, buying us cars. 
He's an honorary citizen of the village. A kidnapper, an arm robber, an arms dealer. But you see, the world never sees well. Because they're in darkness. So they keep judging wrongly. Young sister, the brother that God has designed for you doesn't have a car, but you're not seeing well. You're seeing brothers through the eyes of a car. And the lifespan of a car, if it's brand new, after 12 years, if it makes 12 years, accounting time is four years. I'm just giving Nigerian time. With all the mechanics, when they start joining Toyota to, to, to Nissan, you know, Mercedes to Volvo, if they do all of that, after 12 years, your eyes will see better. You see, when he says turn them from darkness to light, he's saying bring them out from where they wrongly interpret reality to where they begin to see well. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall what? Set. It's the same thing, sir. You come from a family of seven. And every time your mom is praying for the six because they're sending money, they're performing. And prayer for you, say it shall be well. It shall be well. Just go. You're not performing at all. Now, pressure can arise on you to do what the other people are doing so that mommy can say the kind of prayers. But you see, if you are a believer in Jesus and you continue in his word and you become a disciple, you will know the truth that is not your mommy's prayer because the other people are sending money she doesn't know where it's coming from that you need. You need the approval of heaven. Let heaven say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You will be free. You belong to WhatsApp old school group. All the people you went to university with or secondary school with. When you see the way they are moving, how many of us remember the movie Living in Bondage? You go to them and say, oh boy, show me the way. But you see, the disciple is free. That's what that freedom is talking about. It's freedom. You know why? You, 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 are not, you, you can see better. You can see that all that is glittering, all that is affecting everybody, is only for a season. It's only for a season. It's a terrible thing that has happened in the church that heaven and hell has become despised. People now say, don't you know, that, that Jesus said to us, have dominion, have dominion, have dominion. It's okay. Jesus said we should have dominion while we are going to heaven. It's as simple as that. Listen to me. Many years ago, how many of us remember, whenever Nigeria goes to play matches, anywhere, we're the ones that the crowd loved most. But most times we lost the matches. You know why? We used to dominate the match. Okocha will dribble, dribble, dribble. Give Amokachi, they'll dribble, but they'll never score. Those of you that watch European matches, how many dribbling do you see now? Do they dribble? They don't dribble. You know why? After the match, they don't remember the dribbling. They only remember the goals. So we used to dribble and dominate the match, but we lost the matches. When they tell you dominate, they tell them, but at the end, when my life is finished, they won't ask me, did I, was I chairman of FISA? Was I chairman of Flormills? They will ask me, did you make it? They will ask me, did you make it to heaven? That's what it's about. So we are going somewhere on the journey we dominate, but our eyes say looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Who for what? The joy that was where? Not the joy that was in his pocket. The joy for the Christian. Any moment you see more joy today than you see tomorrow, you're in trouble as a Christian. The joy of the believer is in his coming. That's why the Bible talks about those who love his appearing. There are many Christians now that if you tell them Jesus is coming, they say, hey, no, 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 no. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid. Because they're not ready. 
They're enjoying. They don't want that thing to come and disturb them. A Christian comedian was once cracking a joke and said, Jesus should wait till he gets married though before he comes. And it was funny. So it's not as if I don't like comedians. Okay, please forgive me. But you see, there are some things they play with that shouldn't be played with. And please let us meditate on that scripture that says we will give an account of idle words. So they are playful things, but they are things we shouldn't play with. SU pastor has come again. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are things you don't play with. In our world today, you see, people use hell for jokes. Man, this thing is sweet like hell. You know why? The devil wants to make the word hell like joke. Those who have died is no joke to them. Ah, it will be a cold day in hell, did they? It's the master deceiver. He wants when they hear that word, let them hear jokes. That's what it's about. He has brought the word and so devalued the word that it means nothing. It means nothing. Why? Because he's an artful, terrible deceiver. He will play with anything. He will make use of anything. A man, you know, ignorantly is there. You know, floating to one side, floating to one side. But God has called us. He said, this is the way the old school people said. They said, trust and what? Obey. That's the only way. You know why we have to trust and obey? Because we have a wicked deceiver prowling on us. He doesn't give us chance. He comes to you. You know, those days there were those that stayed in monasteries. Seclusion doesn't keep you from him. Crowd doesn't keep you. There is no avoid. The only way out is that you run to this Jesus. The one who says, I am the truth. And embrace everything he has said. What he likes, you like. What he loves, you love. What he says no to, just say no to it. Without reason. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, somebody. So Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm reality. He says, I'm the life. What does it mean to be life? Or what does it mean to be alive? To be alive simply means, or to live, simply means, he said to live is to interact with an environment actively, intentionally, and consciously, isn't it? So if, if something is here, this speaker that is here, is he living here? No, he's not alive because what? He's not conscious. He's not interacting. He's here, but he's not alive. We can do anything to it, and he has no choice. Praise the Lord. He can't respond of its own. But the tree is alive because if you cut it, you know, it won't produce fruit again. So to live simply means to be, you know, responding to an environment, to be interacting with an environment. Now, the physical life we have is a life that is reacting and responding and, you know, interacting with our environment. So when Jesus says eternal life, everlasting life, you know what he's saying? He's saying that you begin to interact with the life, the world that is beyond this world. So when he says, I am the life, or when he says, I give to those who believe in me eternal life, he's saying that right now, you may be living in Nigeria. Like the Lord said to us, you know, a few years ago, he said to us, no matter how terrible Nigeria becomes, is what? Better than hell. And the, the, the uh, UK or Canada or Shanghai, China, you're going to, no matter how beautiful it is, can never be what? As beautiful as heaven. That is truth. The person who is born again lives a life that is not tied down. The Bible says our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. 
is in heaven. So the life, when Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundant, he's saying, I've come to take you from just reacting to Wusa and to Jahia and Pape and all of that and uh, Shagamu to begin to react with the eternal kingdom to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the streets of gold. So you can be in the most wretched, unquote, of environment, but you can rejoice. Knowing that you have a place reserved for you. You can be in the strictest of situations and know that you are not poor. When the Bible talks about poverty and wealth in the New Testament, brethren, it's not talking about physical poverty and physical provision. It's never implied. It's talking about the riches that we have, the riches of his glory, our riches in Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about this, our world, as a world that is what? Passing away. But the riches of Christ are what? They are coming. They are eternal. The Bible talks about reserve. Our Lord Jesus speaking in particular said, don't make too much effort to store for yourself, you know, silver, gold, because moth and rot destroys it and thieves breaking and steal. Isn't that clear to us? It says rather do what? It says store for yourself what? Treasures in that kingdom. Now, for you to be able to store treasures in that kingdom, you have to be living in that kingdom. That's why when we come here, we don't put money before people. We don't put, you know, giving, giving, bring money. So No, we can't do that because I'll be wicked to ask you to send money to a kingdom you have not entered. Who will refund the money to you? You'll call me from heaven to say, Pastor Kenna, come. You made me give money. I'm not there. Bring back my money. You know, God is just. He might now say, oh yeah, <laughs> go and refund them their money. No, I, I only want those who are in the kingdom to do what? To make deposit there. To make deposit there. That, that's why, you know, you, you listen to a lot of people that are just talking as if this kingdom is you bring money, they open the gate for you. As if this kingdom were the ministry of uh, information or ministry of uh, works. It's not now. So our Lord Jesus Christ says, I've come that they may have life. He says, I've come that you might interact with eternal things. The Bible tells us of the Hebrews of faith. It says these men, these men, they turned their backs on the cities of this world. Why? Because they were looking forward to, to that city. Whose world? In fact, the first thing they said was a city that had foundations. You know what that means, sir? It means that this place where we are doesn't have foundation. If it's difficult for you to understand, look at uh, Hurricane Dor Doran. Anytime the water just moves, the whole place that is beautiful as a city looks like a chicken shed. This world has no foundations. It says they look for the city. Who had foundation? Who's builder and maker? Brethren, when you come out from darkness to light, that city will be real to you. It will be real. Unfortunately, to many Christians, those things are not real. Unfortunately, to many Christians, the only things that are real are what they can see, what they can hold, what they can touch. Unfortunately, those are the very things that had been given to the devil to play with. Brethren, the devil said to our Lord Jesus in the same look form, he said, all the kingdoms of the earth, I will do what? I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. All, what are the things in the kingdom? Promotion, the applaud of men, popularity, celebrity status, security, Praise the Lord. A big name. All the things that the world celebrates, list them out. The devil said, I will give them. Jesus didn't say, shut up. You don't have the power. 
All the Lord Jesus said to him is, I will not worship you. I have a greater commission. I didn't just come for the kingdoms of the world. I came for the souls of men. And our Lord Jesus himself teaching us says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He knew that the devil offered a bad deal. A terrible deal. Look at many of us now. Just us alone. One of us is worth more than the whole earth. And then the devil was trying to offer Jesus the whole earth for millions and billions of Christians. You see, he's a liar. Praise the Lord, someone. Praise Jesus. The Bible talks about the whole world lying under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. The whole world. We see that the Bible is reminding us that there is a cloak that has covered the world. It says, but we are of God. He said, we know that whoever is born of God, what? Does not sin. He has been born of God. He keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. Why doesn't the wicked one touch him? Because he knows the truth. He's free. So as you read those words in the scriptures, begin to see what they are. Truth means you're not being deceived. Brethren, every sin is as a result of deception. Every sin a man commits is as a result of deception. I don't want to ask like, um, you know, some people on television do. Have you lied before? Have you stolen before? Have you done all of that before? No, I, I don't need to ask. I know I will use myself as sample. People of God, there are things I have lied or cheated or whatever to get that after some time, you look at it and you wonder, it's not worth it, isn't it? It's not worth it. Why then did I do it? I was deceived. That scripture says, it says, he that is born of God does not sin. Why? He keeps himself. The wicked one does not touch him. Why? It says, this world is under the sway, the sway, the control of the wicked one. And when he says this world, people of God, I must mention to you, even religion, even religion, some of the things you, you learn here, even though they are clear from scriptures, that's so unpopular. That's so unpopular. You know why? Because the devil is the one that is reigning. That word sway means he's reigning. He's reigning. He's reigning. The kingdom of God here is advancing. It's pressing on. But it's not reigning. The world is still in charge. Praise the Lord. If you want to matter in the system of the world, there are principles that you follow. Okay? If it's in Nigeria, become an activist. Make a lot of noise as a lawyer. Make a lot of noise. Make a lot of noise. Attack the government. Attack the government. Attack the government. And then meet with them in the night. They give you a position. <laughs> it works now. Praise the Lord. It works. You get into office. Still money, still money, still money. Okay? When the government in power, your government that is in power goes, join the opposing government. You will become an asset with the stolen money. You won't be a thief again. So there are systems that work. But for the child of God, we understand something. 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. Let's look at it, please. Let's see what Jesus did. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Who has what? Abolished death and brought life and immortality to life. Through what? The gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And this salvation is now and is future as well. Is what makes you live today free. It's what makes you, no matter when death comes, you're still free. It has no power over you. It is the truth of the gospel. And what is the simple truth of this gospel? 
God loves you beyond measure. God loves you beyond measure. For the Christian, any Christian that is depressed, any Christian that is backsliding, any Christian that is living in willful disobedience to God, he doesn't believe God loves him. In their heart of heart, they think, well, God may love, you know, the young lady that got married at 25. God may love, you know, the usher that is a bank, AD or MD. But for them, do you know what they're going through? God is not really concerned. But that's the lie of the devil. That is the deception of the enemy. Because the fact of the matter is that God is love. God is love. He can't help but love you. Even when we are faithless, the Bible says what? He abides faithful. Look at Saul of Tarsus. With all he did, God was still able to call him back. Last Sunday, we learned that there is a purpose for our lives. Child of God, any moment you say to God, from today onwards, I want to live daily for the purpose for which I was born. God will be excited over you. God will be excited. The hands and the control of that deceiver will be broken. But because there is such a wrong, erroneous knowledge of God in our world, where God is only a secondary means to attain the primary means. So people come to God only to solve a problem. People come to God to give them an advantage. Whereas God wants to give you himself. Praise the Lord. The blessing of God for you, the greatest blessing God has for you is himself. So you might actually live and, uh, and not have, unquote, what they call blessing. What men call blessing. But God, his assurance, he said to the Jews, he said to Moses and the children of Israel, he said, I will give you the promised land. He said, go, 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 go and take it. But my presence I will not give you. When God is really angry or not pleased, what he will show is his presence, not blessing, not blessing, unquote. When the children of Israel challenged him and Moses himself doubted and said, can he give? He has given manna, but can he set a table in the wilderness? Can he give us meat to eat? They challenged him. God was not happy. He didn't say, I will not give you meat because I'm not happy. For many of us that think, unquote, what we call testimonies approval, no. You can actually rob things from the spirit world. They got the meat. They got more than enough meat. But the Bible says God was not happy with them. He said before the food passed through their nose and entered, he said it caused it to begin to come out of their nostrils. Child of God, this morning I've come to tell you God loves you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how this physical life has touched you. You're beyond this physical life. You are living an eternal life. You must get your interpretation of whether you're blessed or not, not from the things around you, but from the things in the scriptures, from eternal things. You can read Hebrews 11. And the Bible says many of those people didn't even handle the promise, but they were heroes of faith. You may be a hero of faith, and then you're killing yourself because you're not working according to what the world calls success. Who knows the reason Nigeria is still being preserved? You think it's by those that are in National Assembly. It is by the righteous. Who knows the pleasure your life is giving? Who knows for that family? Who knows the one that is the light for which that man, that husband, or that child has not been destroyed? Who knows the one that has audience in heaven? These are the wealth of the born-again Christian. These are the things of eternal life. You have interaction. It says, I give them eternal life. They can relate, they can interact with the world that is come. As we round up this morning, I want to ask you, knowing that the devil is bad, really bad, 
terribly bad, not foolishly bad, sensibly bad, and you're naive, what do you think should be our reasonable reaction? That's the advice I want to leave us with. Let me tell you. The Bible says, submit to God. Resist the devil. Submit to God. I'm happy they use the word submit. Submit to God means throw yourself into the hands of God. And what do you do to the devil? Resist him. You know why? God will always do you good. The devil will always do you bad. It may not appear so. How many of us know what they call shortcuts? Shortcuts have made the journeys very long for many people because they were suggested by the devil. Submit to this God that is what? Infinitely good. Resist this devil that is what? Terribly bad. Why? You can't trust yourself. Basic wisdom will tell you, if I don't know, I should lean on the one who does what? Who knows? One of the areas of attack, the enemy attacks, you know, us, is that he makes us think we know something. But we've seen from a few instances, how little we know. The brothers of Joseph, their brother had a dream. They said, let's sell him as a slave, so that that way we are done with him. For the rest of their lives, you know, they were tormented. Because when their father finally died, they were already preparing how they'll serve the punishment. And they came and told another lie. They said to Joseph, Joseph, before our father died, he made... In fact, I don't even know how they crafted that lie. It just didn't make sense. He said he promised, if he was going to say anything, it would have been Joseph he would talk to now. But, but just to tell you that the way of the enemy never pays. Some of us here are so stingy financially in the things of God. You don't give whatever you call it, tithe or percentage offering. But you see your life, you're not satisfied. It's the devil that will tell you not to give to the one who gave you. It's as simple as that. God is never in need. I hope you know that. He said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't even inform you. It's the devil that makes you not to serve God with diligence. It's the devil that will make you to take every other thing serious, but not the word of God. It's the devil that will make you not to play uh, Romans 12 to say, your reasonable one and two, your reasonable self. It's the devil that will make you know all these things about God, but you'll never be actively involved in his worship. But you're a fan of Asna. You're a fan of Manu. You're a fan of this. You're a fan of Toko, Toboko. You have, I mean, all, all kinds of, you know, fan, 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 fan. But you're not a fan of Jesus. They allow you. Because the world says this is okay. If you hang the flag of your so-called team on your car, you're in style. But if you hang, only Jesus can save. You're a Jew man. It's the devil. He's deceiving us. Nobody at the bed of illness has said, call me man you. Or show me one man you match. You don't do that. Those things are emptiness. Vanity. Yes, I mean, you can in your free time. But ask yourself, the devotion I give to some things. The Apostle Paul speaking says, says meat for the belly and, and belly for the meat. He said, my God shall what? Destroy both it and them. All these things won't last. It won't last. There's a deceiver magnifying what is barely and basely empty and diminishing what is of value. How many of us come to the end of the year, end of the month, end of the day, and ask ourselves, how is my relationship with God? But everybody says, how much have I made? How much have I made? How much have I built? How much have I gained? That is not, it's not reality. Because brethren, you can make five million. They were telling us, the same man that called me an elder, he was telling us about a man that was very wealthy, but has spent all his money, has gone from being wealthy to being indebted because the wife was sick. Money is good. 
as a servant, but don't put your trust in it. There are problems he can't solve. There are many problems he can't solve. In fact, apart from not solving, he can create many problems. Some lady died and, you know, this lady is supposed to be buried peacefully and joyfully. But because she had money, there is katakata. If she was poor, all the family will be united now in burying her. But there is money to be shared, so there is war in the family. Don't magnify what cannot bring joy, cannot bring peace. As we round up, the Bible says something. Oh, I don't have the time to go into details of that, but let me give you this account. Judas, at the time he finally left the table of communion at the Last Supper, the Bible said something. It said Jesus dipped the bread in the wine and gave him to eat, right? And then Judas ate the bread and then did what? And left. And then the Bible says Satan entered him. Let me tell you what as I round up. The love of God will not allow Satan to touch a man until he has offered himself to that man. Nobody will be able to point to God and say, you abandoned me. Twelve people plus Jesus were on the table eating. Jesus fed one in particular. What was he saying? He was trying to say, I love you. You don't have to do this. But Judas took the bread, ate it. Saying, now bread I go chop. Thirty pieces of silver I'm going. And the Bible says, Satan what? Let's rise on our feet. There is a God that loves you. For Judas, he never understood it. But today you're understanding it. I want you to tell Jesus, I receive your love. I will not live life foolishly again. I receive your love. I receive. He said, come and tell them. Come and tell them about the terribleness of Satan and my goodness. This morning, tell him, I receive your love. You might be in a situation and the enemy has made you to imagine all things are against you. All things are not against you. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. That husband, that wife, that child, that businessman, that civil servant, you must change your ways. God has a better plan for you. He said to Judas, I love you. Take the expression of my love. Judas took it. But it had no value to him. His heart was set on embracing the devil. And the Bible says, Satan said, you've chosen me. I go with you. I want you to pray for yourself. Today, today, I receive your love afresh. I receive your love afresh. I turn my back to the deceiver. I turn my back to the devil. I turn my back to that liar. I turn my back to that wicked one. I never again. He will not convince me. I have made up my mind. I will go God's way. For the rest of my life. Today I choose life. I choose life. He said he has come that I may have life. He said the thief has come. Satan has come. To steal, to kill and destroy. But he will never tell you that to your face. He will never tell you that to your face. But that's what he does. That's the only thing he has capacity for. But today, somebody's rejecting Satan and saying, I surrender. I submit to Jesus. I submit to the life in the kingdom. I submit to light. I turn from darkness. Paul was sent. He said, turn them from darkness to light. This morning, I've come to plead with somebody to please turn from darkness. Turn from adultery.
Turn from fornication. Turn from stealing. Turn from lying. Turn from cheating. Turn from unforgiveness. Turn from bitterness. Turn from wickedness. Turn from anger. Turn from all of that. And turn to light. There's a light of love. You don't have to continue that way. Jesus will receive you. Jesus will embrace you. I want you to pray from your heart. Nobody needs to live here. The same way. It doesn't matter how you come in. Jesus is saying, I did it for Saul. An active opposition. I can do for everyone here. One more prayer and I'm, I, I'm done. Please forgive me. I want you to pray. Lord, put a desire in me or a consciousness in me of heaven. Put a consciousness in me of heaven. We learned life is interaction with environment. Let me begin to see the beauties and the glories of your kingdom. I see the S-classes. I see the beautiful mansions. I see the gold and the silver of this world. But let me see the beauties of heaven. Put it in me. Put it in me. Let me see that place. It said I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am you may also be. The only prepared place for mankind now after the fall of Adam and Eve is heaven. Lord, while I travel through here, put a consciousness, a hunger, a desire. Let nothing come in between me. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise Jesus, somebody. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ike Naokeke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-1588404. You can find us online at www www.thefatherschurchonline.org God bless you.